Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. It is good to be back in our normal routine meeting here in Alumni Hall. We do apologize for the last several weeks of moving around place to place. That's just sort of the nature of being a mobile church. And so thanks for being flexible with us and uh, moving around with us. We do appreciate that. Today, we come to the final installment, the final part to this series that we've been in for the better half of this semester called Live In My Best Life. Live In My Best Life. And, and by the way, friends, I hope this series has been helpful to you. Um, I, I never want to just get up here and, and, and preach sermons that are, are unpractical or they're not terribly helpful in your walks with Jesus. And hopefully this series wasn't that for you. Rather, it was quite the opposite. I hope that it was tremendously helpful to you as we explore the abundant life of Jesus. And, and if you started unpacking what this abundant life of Christ looks like. And so uh, we started off by addressing the battlefield of the mind and how we handle our thought life and our self-talk, right? And then we talked about different pathways to spiritual breakthrough and how the abundant life of Christ can actually be accessed and acquired through these different pathways. And then for the last couple of weeks, we talked about the depths of our souls, the depths of our souls where we examine how our soul is doing. And once again, if you missed any of those messages, you can watch them on our website or subscribe to our podcast and listen to it there. But, but if you've been with us from the start, if you've been tracking with us throughout the course of this series, you'll notice that a lot of the discussion and a lot of the topics that we've covered thus far have all been, have all been about what's happening in here or up here it's 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 primarily been about what's happening internally and a lot of the abundant life talk has circled around what goes on in the internal places of our lives things like our thought life right our spiritual hunger and our intimacy with jesus the nature of our souls these are all things that pertain to our inner life. And, and, and I, I should say, I think those are all critically important things we need to talk about and we need to be aware of. Otherwise, we would not have spent the last five weeks talking about those things. But for this last message in this series, I think it's vital to move us from in here to out there. I think it's vital for us to move the conversation from the internal places of our lives to out there. In other words, I believe that the abundant life of Christ, when fully lived out, when fully realized, will produce a people of good news. In fact, that's the title of my message today. I'm calling this message People of Good News, Gospel People. Friends, you know this already. We live in a world full of bad news, right? Full of bad news. It wouldn't take you very long to scroll through the headlines to come across some bad news, right? We don't seem to have a deficit in this area of bad news, right? Particularly in this, in this room right here. We're, we're, we're people who are well acquainted with bad news. In fact, when you spend some time in scripture, you find the same exact thing. Bad news after bad news after bad news news you see that's the reality of humanity that on this side of heaven wherever you look it seems like bad news follows there's an abundance of bad news but in the midst of all of that in the midst of all of that god raises up a people called the church of which you and i are a part of here today and he says to us now in the midst of all the bad news that the world is inundated with 
I want you to go out into this world and be people of good news wherever you go. I'm calling you to be people of good news wherever you go. But now that leaves the question, how? What does that even look like? What does it mean to be a people of good news, gospel people? How do we live as people of good news when we seem to be surrounded by bad news? Well, today I want to look at a passage of scripture and see how we might go about developing as people of good news, gospel people. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. If you need a Bible, raise a hand, and we'll have some folks coming around, and they'll get you one of these hardback Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, consider this our gift to you. You can take it home with you, but we're in the New Testament. Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pick up from verse 30. Now, for those of you who grew up in the church, this is a story uh, that you might be very familiar with. This is a story that you might have heard of time and time again. It's the miraculous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Talk about good news, right? This story actually can be found in other gospel accounts as well. But today, we're going to look at Mark's account. And what we're going to find is that this is good news on a massive scale. Uh, like good news for 5,000 people type of good news. And I believe there are some lessons here for us to learn from as we seek to become people of good news. Mark chapter 6, find me at verse 30, and we'll read through this account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what it says. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. In verse 31, Jesus says to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I mean, it's like a mob of paparazzis. Like, they're just, they're running towards the destination, towards the desolate place. In verse 34, when he went ashore, it's talking about Jesus. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and, and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I'd say that's good news. How do we become people of good news? 
What does it look like to live as people of good news in a world full of bad news? I want to point out three ways in which we can become people of good news. The first is this. In order to become a person of good news, you need to develop eyes of compassion. You need to develop eyes of compassion. You see, when you read the story, it would have been real easy for Jesus to look out at the crowds and bemoan what was to come. It would have been real easy to, to, for Jesus to look out at the crowds and, and, and be like, oh, here they come again. The crowds, the crowds, the crowds. I mean, we, I can't get any alone time. The crowds just follow me wherever they go. But that's not what the text says. The text doesn't say Jesus bemoaned what was to come. It says in verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And listen to what it says. And he had compassion on them. Listen, folks, compassion is what drives people of good news. Compassion is the key motivator for a person of good news. For instance, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, wouldn't you say that he brought good news wherever he went? Right? Did he not? I mean, for Jesus, you got to understand this. Good news, gospel, wasn't just a message that he preached. It was a reality that he lived out and brought wherever he went. And so for every blind eye opened... Good news. Every sick person healed. Good news. Every sinner set free. Good news. Every broken life restored. Good news. Every 5,000 people fed. Good news. Gospel wasn't just a message that he preached. Gospel was something that he brought and lived out wherever he went. But you want to know what drove Jesus to good news? It was compassion. It was compassion. Over and over and over again, all throughout the Gospels, you find Jesus being moved with compassion. In the Gospels, it's, you, you'll find Jesus was moved to compassion, moved with compassion, and then he did this. Jesus being moved with compassion spoke a word to this woman. Jesus being moved with compassion healed the blind man. You see, everything that Jesus did in terms of Gospel work, in terms of bringing good news in the sea of bad news... It was all driven by compassion. In fact, I would go so far as to say, without compassion, there is no good news. Without compassion, there's no good news. Because compassion is what motivates and drives good news. You see, friends, I believe that we live in a world today that is often compassion deficient. We, we, are, we live in a society that is compassion deficient. We see a lot of hate. We see a lot of fighting and arguing. We see a lot of quarreling, particularly in this political climate, right? Like we see a lot of people tearing each other down based on differences in political views. Across the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, and Republicans to Democrat and everything in between, there's, there's this constant quarreling and fighting and tearing each other down. But you know this, friends. It's not just in politics that we see this. We see this in homes. We see this in families. Maybe you grew up in a home where you know nothing about good news. Everything about your upbringing spoke bad news. We see this in homes. We see this in families. We see this in schools and, and in communities. And dare I say, even in the church, we see this. It is rare to see a surplus of compassion these days. And yet, in the midst of all of that, we as the people of God are called to rise up as people of good news. But in order to bring good news to the world, we need to develop eyes of compassion first. Now real quickly, 
How do we do that? How do we develop eyes of compassion? Uh, let, me, let me give you just three quick practical ways that we might go about developing eyes of compassion. The first one is this. Just quit focusing on yourself. Number one, just quit focusing on yourself. You gotta stop making yourself the center of the universe. If you wanna develop eyes of compassion, you gotta do what Jesus did. You gotta look up out at the crowds. Did you notice that it wasn't until Jesus saw the crowd that he had compassion on them? See, many of us don't even see the crowds because all we're seeing is this. We do a whole lot of navel gazing. We say, these are the problems that are going in my life. These are my needs. These are my hurts. These are my wants. These are my, it's about me. But the problem is, if you want to develop and live and grow as a person of good news, a person of compassion, number one, you got to quit focusing on yourself. Number two, pray for others regularly. One of the best ways to get your eyes off of yourself is to pray for others regularly. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll pull out a post-it note, and based on things that I know about the people in my life, I'll start writing their names. I won't go into great detail because the names will be enough cue to, to jog my memory of how to pray for them. I'll just jot down their names and I'll stick it in the back of my Bible. And every time I go, go spend some time with the Lord, I'll spend just a few moments just interceding for people, just praying for people, praying for others regularly. If you know someone who's going through something difficult, commit to praying for them regularly and here's what will happen. And I guarantee this because it's happened to me over and over again and I know it's happened to dozens of other people who have made this a personal practice. What will begin to happen is the Holy Spirit will start impressing upon your heart ways in which you might express the compassionate heart of Jesus to them. You'll find yourself showing compassion even if you're not naturally inclined to be a compassionate person. Can I just, can I just say this? I, maybe some of you can relate to this. I am not gifted in the area of compassion. Compassion is not an area where I'm like, yep, that's me. Yeah, like compassionate people, I'm first in line. Compassion is not something that comes naturally to me, and maybe it doesn't come naturally to you, but here's what will happen. When you begin to pray for others, the Holy Spirit starts stirring in your life and starts st moving on your heart to express the compassionate heart of Jesus because all of a sudden now you're sensing the heartbeat of Jesus. Jesus said they, he saw the crowd and he realized these were, these were sheep without a shepherd. All of a sudden you start being aware of the needs of the people that you're praying for and you're bleeding with them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, third and finally, invite the Holy Spirit to work. Invite the Holy Spirit to work. You see, a compassionate heart, you got to understand, church, it doesn't just form solely by one's willpower. You don't get up in the morning and say, I wish I can, I wish I can, I will, I will, I will be a more compassionate person here today. There's certain things that you can do out of volition, right? Like, just quit focusing on yourself, get your eyes off of yourself and out into others. There are things that you can certainly do, but at the end of the day, changing the condition of your heart is solely and exclusively the work of the Holy Spirit. So just, just commit to prayer. Earnestly pray that God would begin to form in you a more compassionate heart. We need to develop eyes of compassion. After Jesus is moved with compassion, he goes into teaching. He begins to teach the crowd, and he goes into preaching. 
and he's preaching and he's preaching and he's preaching. Let me just say this, church. Just be glad Jesus isn't your pastor here. Okay, because you would be here well past lunchtime. You might even have to pack dinner because Jesus here, he's preaching, he's preaching, he's preaching. And in fact, in verse 35, we catch this exchange between Jesus and his disciples. It says in verse 35, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, Jesus, this is a desolate place. It, meaning we're, we're, we're out here in the middle of nowhere, okay? This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and, and buy themselves something to eat. Now, I want you to catch this, okay? This is basically the disciples' way of saying, okay, Jesus, we've had enough. We're done here. We, we, we basically hit our limits. Remember verse 31 in this passage? Verse 31 told us that the disciples were tired and hungry from a long stretch of ministry. They didn't even have the leisure to eat, right? Like they were tired, and Jesus was like, come on, let, let's, let's go to a desolate place to rest. Psych. Jesus goes into a whole, like, lengthy sermon, and he's teaching everyone, and he's doing ministry. And so these disciples had enough. They come to Jesus, and they're like, okay, come on, Jesus, time to wrap it up. I'm sorry, it's time, right? Like, in fact, they say, time to send them away so that they can at least feed themselves. Which, by the way, I love the sense of false compassion here. I love the sense of false compassion that these disciples share. They're, they're, not, they're, they're trying to care for the crowd's needs, but in reality, they're just looking out for themselves. It's like, just send them away, Jesus. They're, they're hungry. Peter, I know you're hungry, but, but just make it about them. Jesus likes it when we make it about them. So, so send them away, and, and, and then let's, let, let's just move on with the day. But notice Jesus' response here. Oh, this would aggravate me. In verse 37, he answers them, you give them something to eat. Now, listen, if I were one of the disciples, I would have found this statement to be one of the most irritating responses that Jesus could have possibly given I mean, can you imagine being in the disciples' shoes? The disciples, again, just got done with a long stretch of ministry, and they were just about to go off and, and get some much-needed rest, a little R&R, &R, and, and until this crowd showed up. And so here they are, tired, exhausted, hungry. Church, have you ever been in that place? Right, like you're tired, exhausted, and hungry, and all you want to do is just kick back on a hillside somewhere and enjoy a nice, quiet meal, just you and Jesus and some of your closest disciple buddies. But no, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You feed them. And you want to know what the disciples did? They did what I think you and I would have most likely done in a situation like that. Jesus says, you feed them, and the disciples are like, I don't, I don't think they're looking in their pockets, they're looking in their bags, they're like, and then they start talking to each other like, hey, John, you got any food for these guys? I, I, I don't have anything. John's like, no, I, I, ask Peter. Hey, Peter, you, you got any of that leftover granola you were munching on earlier? Like, is, is, you got anything we can give to these people? Peter's like, no. I'm, I'm. So they turn to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, we got nothing. We don't have anything to give to these people. In verse 37, they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now this response, it's hard to catch it, but, but it's really laced with some sarcasm, which is how I know the disciples were really from New York. I mean, they were, they were like, come on, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like, you gotta hear this. They were essentially saying, Jesus, 
Come on, what are you talking about, right? Like, we, you're asking us to do something impossible. Uh, we don't have anything. We, we, there's no way that we can feed them all. Now listen, this is important. This is really important. In order to be people of good news, we cannot approach a supernatural request with a natural response. Did you hear me? In order to be a person of good news, we cannot approach a supernatural request with a natural response. Here's what was happening. When Jesus says to his disciples, you give them something to eat, I got news for you. Jesus knew that the disciples couldn't feed them. He knew that the disciples didn't have food that they were carrying around with them to feed them. Like, who in the world is ever carrying around enough food to feed 5,000 people? You've got to remember the crowd like that, that this request is, is requesting of, to feed 5,000 people. No one is carrying around that kind of food, right? Furthermore, right before this, Jesus sent out his disciples to do ministry in the surrounding regions. And you want to know the one specific instruction that he gave to his disciples before they set off? Don't bring anything with you on the journey. Leave everything at home. Don't bring anything with you. And so Jesus is fully aware that the disciples don't have the resources to feed this crowd. But you want to know what Jesus knew that the disciples clearly seem to have forgotten in this moment? That they had the bread of life standing right there in front of them. And they missed it. They had the bread of life standing right there with them, and they completely missed it. This Jesus who had performed all kinds of miracles, you got to remember, these disciples have walked with Jesus and were firsthand eyewitnesses to some of the greatest miracles of Christ. That Jesus is standing right there in front of them. It's the same Jesus who sent them out right before this, not too long ago, to perform all the same kinds of miracles. So you got to wonder, I mean, I mean, the disciples just got done performing all kinds of signs and wonders right before this moment. And how did the disciples respond? Duh, we got nothing, Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't know how you want us to feed them. All the while, Jesus is like, hello. It's me that you're giving. It's me that you're feeding them with. Here's the point. If you want to become people of good news, we must offer the world something better. We must offer the world something better, better than our natural resources, better than our best advice, better than our good thoughts, better than our best efforts. You see, people of good news offer the world Jesus. Friends, hear me. Don't miss the opportunity to engage in the supernatural work of God in bringing good news to someone because you're so busy looking at your limited natural resources and looking at what you don't have. Friends, hear me. If you've got Jesus, you've got all you need. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything you need. When God calls us to be people of good news, you know what he's saying to us? You give them something to eat. You feed them. And how do we do that? By offering the world something far better. By offering them Jesus. Now, just real quickly, let me make a point here before I move on. What does that even look like? It's not like we can package up Jesus in a box, right? Like Operation Christmas, I'll put Jesus in a shoebox, send him off, and here you go, world. I'm offering the world Jesus. No, no, listen. One of the easiest ways to offer Jesus to the world is simply by testifying to the works of Jesus in your life. 
is to simply share about how Christ is shaping and molding and impacting your life. Share about how Christ's love has impacted your life. Share about how his faithfulness is everlasting and enduring. Share about how his goodness has shaped you and changed you from the inside out. When we offer the world Jesus, all we're doing is testifying to the goodness of Jesus. Tell your story. Tell your story. Share about who Christ is. One of the best ways that I, li I like to do this is I like, uh, I'll lead folks through an exercise of thinking th about their life B.C. and A.D. What was your life before knowing Christ? And what's your life now like after walking with Jesus? How has Jesus made a difference in your life? You see, when you're able to articulate that to someone, what you're communicating, friends, without even knowing is good news. See, that's gospel. Gospel isn't just Jesus came, he died on a cross, he rose again, right? Like that, a lot of us grew up in the church and we think that's the gospel message. And yes, it is. But gospel in its bare form is good news. And what Jesus is doing in your life when shared with others becomes by virtue good news. So how do we offer Jesus to the world? Testify to what he's doing in your life. And for some of us, that might require us to sit down for a second and be like, what is God doing in my life? How is Jesus shaping me? How is Jesus changing me? What, what difference does Jesus actually make in my life, if any? And so we gotta offer the world something fundamentally better. That's what good news people do. So how do we become people of good news? We develop eyes of compassion. We offer the world something fundamentally better, namely Jesus. And lastly, we give God what you've got. You give God what you've got. I love the simplicity of Jesus' question in verse 38. In verse 38, he, he says to them, okay, so you got nothing. I'm not expecting you to go out and spend all this money to buy these people food. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. How many loaves do you have? You see, friends, some of God's best work comes out of giving what we have and watching God multiply it in immeasurable ways. That's something that God loves to do. I mean, listen, five loaves and two fish. That's all it took because that's all they had. When we give God all we have, he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And, and so listen, that one conversation you have with your roommate that one invitation to church that you extended to one of your classmates, that one encouraging text you sent to, to that friend that doesn't know Jesus, who has no faith background at all, when we give God all we have on this side of heaven, we don't always know the magnitude of what God can do with that. There was no way the disciples said, five loaves, two fish, yeah, this is enough to feed people, feed 5,000. No, there, there was no way that they would have known what was to come. There is no way on this side of heaven for you and I to fully know the magnitude of what God can do with the little that we give him. When we give God all we have, he's able to do immeasurable things for his sake and for his kingdom. And so the question, church, today is, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have today? I love how the story ends. Jesus ends up feeding everyone with the five loaves and two fish. And I would have just loved to have been one of the disciples there just as a total sidebar being like, how is he doing this? 
It's like he's got an endless supply. He's just whipping out fish and whipping out bread. It's like, where is this all coming from, right? Like, I would love to see actually how all of this played out. But Jesus, in his sort of miraculous way, ends up feeding the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish. And in verse 42, it says, and they all ate and were satisfied. I love that. I, I, I just, I love that. They, they all ate and were satisfied. Throughout the course of the series, we've been saying that the best version of your life can only be found in Jesus. And I hope by now you're seeing why. They all ate and were satisfied. But, but not only that, they had leftovers. Twelve basketful of leftovers. And friends, what you need to hear is God never comes up short. He never comes up short. Because with God, abundance always leads to overflow. In God's economy, abundance always leads to overflow. And as the people of good news and as the people of God, the abundant life of Christ in us should overflow out of us into the world. See, this is why I don't want to just end the series on another, like, look inside yourself, self-talk. Like, like let's, let's do some self-examination. Like, again, those are all important steps towards moving into the abundant life of Christ. But... If it doesn't translate into how your life is impacting the world, you are missing the point of the abundant life. The abundant life is not just for us to live into, it's for us to invite others into as well. See, the abundant life leads to overflow. It's not just about what happens in us, but it's what happens outside of us as a result. And the way we do that, the way we live as people of gospel, people of good news, is by developing eyes of compassion, by offering the world Jesus, and by giving God what we have so that he can do a miraculous work with what we give him. 